0: Hello, everyone. This is your host, Manoj Tandon. Welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino Security, Security Confidential. And today we have another fantastic guest. We're honored to have him, Peter Warmka. Peter is a keynote speaker, author, cybersecurity insider threat consultant, founder of the Counterintelligence Institute, and an honest-to-God retired senior intelligence officer, with the CIA. Um, first one we've had on the show that we know about, uh, but he, his specialization was clandestine human intelligence collection. And um, we're looking forward to the insights that he's going to share with us uh, that relate back to all the work that we do in cyber and, and intelligence gathering and, and human factors, actually, that, that affect all this. So welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you very much for the invitation. I, it's a great pleasure to be here. I'm getting very excited about talking about the topics I have passion for. Oh, that's that's great. Well, you know,
0: we got to start with one thing. We talk a lot about careers on this show. Mm-hmm. And and often it's because there are a lot of people who are lo- looking to transition into cyber or there's a, we don't want anyone to think that they can't do it. I mean, if there's a will, there's a way to make it happen. But one place we can talk about cyber careers. But one thing we don't know anything about, and if you can entel- enlighten us, is how do you become a CIA intelligence officer? Like what's the what's the career path for that? I, and this is more a curiosity than anything else. Is
1: it? Do you apply for it, or do you? How does this work? Well, it's a, it's, a, it's an amazing. Um... I guess it's a fascinating question and there's a fascinating answers and there's not one single answer because I don't think I've ever come across an individual whose path into the CIA was identical to mine or to, you know, or to okay. someone else. Because sometimes uh, you might apply and you can apply you can go directly to their website and apply. Other times there could be a spotter that's out there, maybe at a university. Uh, whether in, uh, in the United States or overseas and say, hey, this person might be a really, really good candidate uh, for recruitment into the agency. And so the spotter will bring highlight this individual and the agency will contact them. Or like in my particular case, which is unique, uh, I never ever thought or had interest in working for the federal government, let alone okay. CIA. When I got my my graduate degree, I started looking for positions. I got my I got an international management degree from Thunderbird, and I started looking for opportunities in the realm of business. I wanted to work overseas. Okay. And so I started working in a bank in Miami, and my goal was to go overseas. And so I started to, you know, over time, apply for other positions. Hopefully, that would take me there. And there was a position advertised in the Wall Street Journal at that time that was really fascinating. It seemed to t- hit, you know. All the, all the boxes that I would check as far as an opportunity uh, for working overseas, working you know, working in a, an environment, ha- with having background in economics, business, foreign language, having lived overseas and or traveled overseas. It sounded like a perfect fit. So I sent in my resume, and I got a response back uh, asking my authorization to forward the resume on to one of their government clients. Okay. And I thought, this is kind of hokey. Yeah, I I didn't act upon it. I put the letter underneath my night table. And later on, my wife said, whatever happened to this letter? And I said, well, you know, I I didn't respond because it just seemed like a really strange, hokey. I I don't want to work for the government. And then she said, well, why didn't you send it in? Respond to it. Because I had a sign authorizing them, right? And I said, okay. Um, I sent it in. Even though it was after the 20 days, you had 20 days to send it in. And then I was two weeks after that, I'm coming home from work. And my wife uh, tells me when I get home, they called you from Washington. I said, who? They wouldn't say, but they're going to call back at 6 p.m. And so in those days, we had landlines, not cell phones. And so I get the phone call right at 6 o'clock. And we were on the phone for a good hour and 15 minutes. They identified themselves from the get-go as the CIA. And we had a nice chat. Uh, More one-sided asking questions of me, I think, to see whether or not um, there was anything in my background that could pose a problem from a security standpoint of being able to pass a background investigation and be able to get a clearance. Uh, But it was intriguing, and uh, they asked if I would want to pursue a potential opportunity. They said they had a lot of different positions for individuals to work overseas, not just domestic. I said sure. I wanted to. So they forged me a packet of information, literally in a Manila envelope, probably about four inches thick, uh, with everything you can imagine. I filled all that out and I sent it in. And then there, then I was called to Washington for a series of interviews. And I really found um, the prospective job as as fascinating. So even though I I never wanted, never thought about working for the government, I did not pursue uh, trying to apply for the agency. They basically got to be in another fashion and so they use those type of techniques um i wouldn't be able to give you percentages of what percent actually applies directly uh there are quite a few people that apply and never hear you know but that's that's how i got in
0: that that's so fascinating then tell us a little bit about how did you end up in the human intelligence business you were working in banking you have a management degree and now you're into human intelligence gathering. Was that a a choice? Like when you join the Army, you get a roster of positions that you can get into? Or is it uh, something that they assign to you and you develop?
1: Well, I think a lot of that is the, the based upon their assessment of you. They've do, they do a lot of different types of uh, – I mean, they have a lot of assessment tools. And I think at the end of the day, they look at um, a number of things which could make you – attractive as a potential human, a collector. Because, you know, we have people on the other side that are uh, a lot of people involved in analysis, collecting of open source and in, in using intelligence and coming up and writing up products for, you know, the consumers of intelligence. Uh, I would not have any interest in that, naturally. But they never really told me, hey, you can choose this or that. Based on their assessment, they found that I would be a good candidate for their humaner program. And so it requires somebody who is... Interesting. You would think that we would be very extroverted, but I found a lot of people in my, in my, like you know, in my cadre of individuals that do this, a lot of people are sort of on the border between introverts and, and extroverts. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It, why I do not know, but we're kind of like on that border. I mean, I think I'm more of an introvert with, with a tendency at times to, to be, to be extroverted and, and outgoing, but it's only if I have a, a specific, uh, Let's say target or mission. If I don't like to go out in general and go to, you know, social events or go to cocktail parties, I don't like it. It exhausts me. I I rather stay at home reading a good book. Hey, but if I I'm if, if, I, that. <laughs> if I'm told hey, we, there, there's this event and we want you to go because there is a particular target or, you know, or two there, uh, try to meet them, uh, that to me is it just totally changes. Then I go in there for the hunt. I go in there for the hunt, I'm focused, I look for the target, I find a way to begin to speak with the target, and I develop the the onset of a a relationship uh, potentially with that target. It's just different. You just turn it on. You turn it on or turn it off, for me at least.
0: So uh, let me ask you one of the stupidest questions, but I know listeners are going to be wondering this thing. So I'm going to ask it. uh, How hard is it? to convince someone to to do some things in in our interest that may put their life in jeopardy actually in in, in their in their nation that they're working in or are a part of.
1: That's oh, a very good question. It's not a stupid question. Uh, it's not very hard. Okay? Really? It's surprisingly not very hard. Uh, part of it depends on the culture of the in which this individual is coming from, right? And there are some places in the world where it's much, it's very, very easy and other places in the world where it's more and more difficult and it takes, uh, takes longer. What is crucial though, what is crucial in most cases is developing the relationship with that individual that you're trying to recruit to the point of they trust you more than anybody else. You know, they trust That's you more than their, you know, their family members. They, they trust you more than their significant other. They trust you. You know, uh, and it's based on this trust. Really, if if you're not building this trust with that individual, it's very difficult that you're going to be able to pitch them, and they're going to say yes, unless they're pure mercenaries, right? If what you're giving them is say, I'm going to, you know, give you know, this is what you know, this is what I want you to do, this is what I can compensate you uh, with, but that's very rare, and that's the type of individual that you got to be very, very careful with, because if they're mercenaries, you know, they're working for you one day, they'll throw you under the bus another day to someone who was paying more. So most of our particular recruitment cases and all of mine, of course, dealt with building that trust with an individual. And that, that's over time. Uh, and just as importantly, getting to know them, getting to know them, uh, uh, their motivations, their vulnerabilities, really know what buttons to push to get them, you know, manipulation, this sounds like an ugly word, but it's, you know, we manipulate, we all manipulate people. Our children manipulate us. Manipulation, oh, big well, time. Do that, That's right? the best example there is. <laughs> we do. So, you know, but it's, it's manipulation. You, you know, uh, as an intelligence officer, your goal is to recruit an individual who can provide you with or facilitate access to that intelligence that you need for your country for its national interest. Of course, you don't want to put your 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 source, the individual you're trying to recruit, you don't want to put them in harm's way. You want to protect them and we use a lot of different measures to protect them. Unfortunately, there have been cases I have not been involved in any, fortunately, but there have been cases when individuals have have, you know, have suffered
0: consequences for well, betraying their country. I, I think that goes without saying. Um I forget the the gentleman uh, who wrote the book The Puzzle Palace uh, but he talked about this as mm-hmm. well quite a bit so it just goes with the territory you do enough cases there's going to be a couple that are going to go bad it just Yeah it, but we you
1: know we we try to do everything possible to protect the individual it's it's not only to protect them but it's to protect you know a, our sources and methods to protect the information that we're acquiring and we, sometimes we have to train the end if some people are automatically very savvy when it comes to understanding security, uh, what they can and cannot do, what, they, you know, what measures they need to put in place. Other ones are coachable. Hey, sometimes we have to teach them, you know this is how we're going to conduct our meetings or however we're going to you know however we're passing that information uh, to us from them, you know, how we're going to do it to make sure that it's done in such a way that it's very, very secure. And they don't have to worry, you know, if they follow, if we follow these security protocols, really don't have to worry that they're going to be compromised. We measure that risk. And typically there's times when the risk might be too high and we say, no, we're not going to pursue this because it's too risky to you. Or if they say that they can, they, they can do something, we'll have them explain to us, okay, how are you planning to do this? And walk us through that so that if they're doing something that we feel is just way too risky, uh, we will say, no, stand down from that. So we're, the security is always in our mind, and, and especially for me, it's always in my mind. And and really happy that um, nothing's ever happened in the cases that I ran uh, regarding jeopardizing the security oh. of the individuals who, who work for me. And that, that, to me, is very, very important because yeah, so I would you, feel very bad if something would have happened.
0: I, I can completely understand. I think uh, everyone could. So now you're out, you're retired, and you started the Counterintelligence Institute. I, I mean, it sounds like you got right back in the game. So what yeah. what is the mission there? What are you guys doing at the Counterintelligence Institute?
1: Well, you're right. When I retired, I, I thought I was really retiring. That was my plan. But then when I started to see all these, you know, hear about all these data breaches that were taking place worldwide against every type of organization Sizes of, of organization—they were just growing in quantity and quality of the breaches. And what really struck me, according to some of the reports, like IBM put out, puts out an annual report, over ninety percent of successful data breaches okay. start or initiated with some form of human hacking, social engineering. I interchange these terms: human hacking. Human hacking is more, I think. Uh, it, We 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 can see it more, you know. We we can understand it more than social engineering. A lot of people, if I ask them, "Hey, do you know what social engineering is?" and they say yes, and then I start asking questions, they have no idea. So it's amazing that still today people don't understand what social engineering is about. I call it human hacking because it's more graphic in a sense of understanding that we're trying to hack into the mind of an individual. Uh, If if we if we are trying to is that a rabbit
0: hole. I think that <laughs> to go it down is. because I, you know, there's there's levels of human hacking then. Um, I remember uh, seeing when we were researching a little bit about you, uh, you did a TED talk where you actually went through someone's trash and you pulled <laughs> out <laughs> and, and you pulled out all the things and you got to know who their doctor was and what prescriptions they were on, what their love interests were, everything from the trash, right? But I... <laughs> which people don't throw out your trash. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that that I would imagine is an extreme level if you're really targeting somebody. There's got to be when IBM put out that report, they probably didn't put out what kind of hacking or what level of engineering was being done on that targeted individual.
1: Right, and it's Eddie, across the board. There's so many different things. And they'll say today typically that the biggest... Uh, form of, uh, you know, data breaches that are caused by the human factor uh, is through phishing. I mean, by by quantity, yes, but when I focused on, especially as a former intelligence officer, when I speak to this sort of um, threat, you know, and the threat actors are various, whether it's an intelligence service, a criminal group, an industrial uh, competitor, an activist, or a lone wolf. There's a variety of threat actors, but at the end of the day, uh, the really professional ones are going to take this. We do take it to a much higher level than the basic, you know, phishing f- campaign where you have the same email that goes out to thousands of people, you know, and it is, you know, that they're, they're, they're going by a certain percentage that's going to take the bait. No pun intended, but there are, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 it's, it works, right, at that level. But if we're talking about the average, Data breach uh, last year, two thousand twenty-two, cost of a data breach. I think worldwide for an average organization was about four point six million, and I think for a U.S. organization it was nine point nine point wow. six. Yeah, that's that's average. So- that
0: sounds about right. That that sound. I think we have a presentation slide somewhere that's right in that ballpark. It it talks about those numbers.
1: Well, you know, what's even scarier, in my opinion, is that the vast majority of data breaches are not reported. So we're just seeing one, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg when we talk about what is this costing, you know, what is it costing our economy, let's say, uh, or a nation, because so many of the data breaches aren't reported. Because think about, why would a company report a data breach if they don't have to? If they legally have to, that's one thing, right? right. And but even if then, they... Don't, they-
0: Guys find ways not to do it,
1: but right. So there's a lot. It's a lot more problems with this than than we're aware of. that people are, are aware of, and so this is a growing problem. And I think one of the reasons why it continues to grow, you know, there are technical controls, there are technical deficiencies, but one of the aspects that, in my opinion, is not given enough attention is the fact that a lot of these breaches are happening because of the manipulation of insiders, right? And so, you know, even if you look at, we probably have have had previously individuals on your show who talk about insider threats. Yeah. you know, that's a word that goes out uh, and some companies are focusing on it. Uh, Other ones are still a little bit behind, but even those that are focusing on it, I think a lot of the focus is on that internal threat that somehow is created internally and not looking at that threat that can not come from outside the organization, how these external threat actors can target the insiders of that I... company who've turned them into threats because they would not be threats otherwise, but because they are targeted and manipulated, they become threats.
0: You're 1000%, if there's such a thing, correct on this. And, and, and you've hit a little bit of a nerve because it's something that we talk about a lot with our clients. And we, we always say that you know cybersecurity is not a technology problem. It's just not. It is a business problem. It's a problem of human behavior, right? And you can put all the technology in the world out there, but if I walk in through your front door and you open that door for me and even lay out the red carpet in some instances – what are good are your controls? And there's umpteen examples of it. And I think you used one um, about uh, a woman who liked puppies. I think it was, and she got <laughs> uh, <laughs> she got so, socially engineered. Uh, give us some, you know, uh, when people think of this, and I'm going to ask you about some techniques and approaches, and but also approaches first, and then techniques. When people think of insider threats, a lot of the things is that this must be an evil person, that, they're, that they have um, ill intent towards the organization in their heart. And that's not necessarily the case, usually.
1: No, mm-hmm. so you're absolutely right. I think I, uh, what I want to start with, though, is a quick mention. I think one of our problems in this industry is using the term cybersecurity. I, and I think we should probably get rid of it. I think it's uh it, it tends to have us believe that it's something that's intangible, that it's through the networks, and it's technology. Uh what would issue. you use? I think I would I would just come, maybe use the term uh data security because Infosec. it's not, yeah, Infosec. Yeah, InfoSec because there's so many other ways and we can talk about a number of them uh later on where I can get into an organization and obtain a considerable amount of information. And it will never appear as a data breach. It was never through the networks. It's, it's, it, there are other ways to get the information than to have to hack into the network to get the data. So, I mean, it's, and, and those things are typically not discussed. Even if you look at a typical cybersecurity a certificate, let's say, right? Certification yep. programs. Yep. How much of that is devoted to social engineering? Very little. It's. I mean, this. It's giving yeah. very little importance, and I mean, and to me, it's just amazing because this is such a growing problem. You hear people talking about human, you know, social engineering and uh, the human factor, but within the training of our experts, future experts in this industry, they don't seem to be uh, getting getting the enough attention of this aspect of the problem. Well, might be.
0: I'll tell you. Um, let's take a little side detour here, so. Uh, uh, personally, I, I am on the advisory board uh, in the computer Science department at Slippery Rock University, and you know, for the cybersecurity program. And we've actually had these exact discussions of what you're talking about, that you know, the, a lot of it is on technology, but where is getting into the mind of the hacker? Where is understanding your adversary? I think the challenge there is that as technicians largely, right? As technical operators, that's a topic that is not something that's within our frame of reference. So if you were going to do that, and I I hate to put you on the spot, but if you were going to have our modern cybersecurity or information security professionals get into the mind of a hacker, what elements would that training involve? What do they need to
1: learn about? Okay. There's a a lot of different motivations for a hacker. Okay. A lot of them. Let me just, you know, mention a few. One could be revenge. Right. Okay. Actually, that's one of the biggest, one of the biggest motivating or one of the most powerful factors of recruiting somebody to actually breach the security of their organization and, and, and provide information, whether it's to a criminal or to an intelligence service is they're wanting to get revenge against their employer really it oh yeah it's very strong it is very very strong uh, another one is eagle okay they believe they're smarter than anybody else and the fact that they're able to do this they feel you know power eagle that they can outsmart anybody else in their company or their organization and and undertaking you know a breach or, or being able to hack you know into a company so eagle is very very strong so, so fulfilling this sense of i i can do anything i want i'm i'm very smart uh another one of course if we're dealing with an intelligence service is going to be loyalty, uh, patriotism. Don't, you know, think about that. There's a lot of hacking going on by intelligence services. And you, yeah. and just as we, you know, myself as a, a former CIA officer and my colleagues, you know, we we're very patriotic. Uh, that's it's at the core, not the only motivation, but a strong motivation across the board. We are doing this for our nation. This is how we justify it. This is what motivates us. Dealing with the Chinese and in, in, in intelligence service, the Iranian, Russian, I'm sure wow. that patriotism is also a strong motivating factor for them. There is the joy, you know, somewhat similar to ego, but the the joy of having a challenge. Hacking is a challenge, you know. Oh yeah, to it, see if it can be done. Can you get in somewhere where? You know, you're and, going and to it, show them. <laughs> yeah. And it requires, sometimes it requires a lot of creativity. So you're, it's not like you just use necessarily the same tool every single time, but getting, you know, going against harder and harder targets and be having to be very creative in doing that, uh, you know, it's, it's self satisfying when you take on that challenge and accomplish that. Um, it could be there are people that just get turned on by, you know, pure manipulation. You know, narcissists, right? I mean, I'm not saying that but I mean there could be people that they just love the fact that they can there are people that are vulnerable and they can manipulate them, not caring about what you know, what are the you asked me earlier about, you know, how we you know care about protecting the sources. There there are some of these a yeah. lot of these hackers that they really don't care, right? What happens to To that organization and down the road, what happens to that individual that they may have manipulated? Um, But probably across the board, one of the most important motivations is going to be money, monetary, especially if you're dealing with criminal organizations, right? It's going to be. We
0: we would put that as in our experience for especially with phishing and ransomware and extortion, those three things, it's it's no different than someone robbing the stage coaches of yesteryear.
1: Yeah, I think those uh, money is definitely number one and money is usually the strongest, but a lot of times you're going to see not just money. You're going to see it maybe combined with what some of these other factors that I mentioned, like even the sources that we would recruit. Hardly ever is it just money. A lot of times there's some other aspect that combined with money. It makes it even stronger for that individual to have this motivation to undertake, uh, you know, trying to, to hack. So I think that these are the different psychological factors how you particularly study them uh, and be able to specifically identify them uh, for specific cases not that easy but i think having at least an understanding about why an organization would be targeted uh, is important so what is the you know what's the motivation of the of the hacker is it for are they trying to get this information for their country you know to help their country Is it, are they trying to get this information just to be able to, you know, to get money? Or are they, is it someone who is trying to get back at a particular organization? I mean, these these are all factors, okay, that can motivate a hacker.
0: And and Peter, when you put it this way, it expands the field of vulnerabilities exponentially. It does. Right. Mm Because now, in terms of, I'll I'll tell you, uh, and I'm going to generalize, it doesn't apply to everybody, but in general, most organizations, when they're thinking about risk, they're thinking about, OK, if I get hacked, uh, how does this going to affect me legally? How is it going to affect me financially? And whether that be a disruption in their revenue stream or that be a disruption in uh, lost sales, production, whatever the case may be, uh, or they're, they're thinking in terms of what their, their loss to their brand and things like that may be. But they're not assessing. Well, I may be a conduit to something much bigger. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. Oh yes, you know,
0: if I want to get into, uh, I want to be careful because I don't want to inadvertently give away a lot of approaches. We're like, "Well, that's a good idea. Let's 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 do it," (laughs) you know. But if I want to get into a bigger fish, and I'll generalize it,
1: Hmm. right?
0: And they're they're pretty solid and I don't want to hurt them just now. I want to lie low and wait, kind of spread my tentacles, sit there, wait for the opportune time. Maybe I'll send that sell that uh, intrusion to somebody on the black market and they can do with it, whatever the heck they want to go do with it that conduit may be a source of much smaller players out there that are easy to get to and are not even thinking that they have human vulnerabilities that could open these
1: doors. No, you're absolutely right. Because a lot of the, we call, you know, we refer to them as hard targets versus soft targets, right? Those, those big fish are typically considered, you know, harder targets. Hopefully they should not always, but hopefully they should be harder targets. Um, but the ones that are softer targets are typically these organizations that think, Hey, why would anybody target me? Uh, you know, I don't have much to offer a criminal group and nothing to offer an intelligence service, but not realizing that they can be a conduit to that larger fish because they have some sort of relationship with that harder target. And I think it was a two th- at least in 2021, I think 52% of data breaches. Of uh, harder targets was actually utilizing uh, the softer targets. The, the oh, that's incredible. Yeah, so using the vendor, you know, some vendor, some some organization had had a a relationship with that that organization that they use as a conduit to get there. So that's a, it's a growing problem,
0: and that's so, why and that's third
1: party risk.
0: I fifty two percent. I didn't realize it was that large. If it, you know that number, should give anyone listening a pause for concern. You know, mm-hmm. and to think about third-party risk in very different ways.
1: Yeah. I mean, just think about it. I mean, you heard of, uh, I'm not to get off track here, but the Panama Papers? I I don't know of them directly. I've heard the term,
0: but what, oh, what was the
1: whole story? It, I mean, it's just a, it's a law firm and based in Panama that had branches throughout the world, and they, they specialize in setting up offshore companies. Uh, basically, to hide who the, you know who the true owners of money was right across the board, so this organization was it 's kind of clear whether it was hacked into this law firm hacked into or somebody from the inside provided the information but it it really disclosed so much information about all their clients, clients that included top political figures around the world but the reason being people don 't think of a law firm as oh you know. What, what, you know, why hack, hack a law firm? You hack into a law firm and you have access to some of the most important information that their clients are providing. So it's not only getting that information that the law firm has, but potentially even leveraging the access, the conduit of that law firm yeah. to get into, you know, so you have law firms, you have consultancy firms, you have, C, you know, CPA firms, you have, uh, and, 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 employee, empl- and staffing companies that have the you know particular access to companies. You have what is it? Oh, outsourced IT management firms. Think about your typically outsourced management IT management firms. How many clients they have access to? So tons of to, them. I mean, so it's just. I mean, and it's, recently, it, there's been a couple of cases
0: with that. I mean, Okta yeah. got hacked because they had a contractor whose laptop was compromised. Mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm.
1: generalizing, but. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, so, and when I speak about this topic, I, I kind of bring that out and I say, listen, n- no one should consider that they would not be a target. We are all potential targets out there and we can all potentially be utilized to get to the bigger fish. So we, we all have to have our guard up and we have to be very, very cautious and we have to, you know, institute for our, for our employees, you know, uh, security awareness because it's not just what can happen to us, but more importantly the how we can be used to as you mentioned earlier you know create even more you know a bigger problem that we might be response, somehow responsible for so h- how do
0: you protect against something this broad you you mentioned employee awareness, but h- how d- how does an organization actually do this and and have some measure of success
1: well, uh when i focus on security awareness the uh, biggest just in my opinion there are two big areas here that we need to educate the company and their employees on one is the information that they put out there in the public realm both as companies and as individuals and understanding and when i get presentations i show a lot of different examples of things that people put out there companies that put out there that can be leveraged by human hackers that actually make them more vulnerable and the companies don't realize how that information can be be utilized but it is being utilized so you know whether they're putting it up on their website they're putting it on their social media they're putting it out via public uh, service uh, you know PR announcements uh, or employees that are posting pictures online of themselves in the workplace i mean i go i just show so many different examples of information that's picked up by you know this kind of like the first Please give first, us some examples. First I, I, phase first phase of uh, a human hacking is going to be collecting that open source, that OSINT, right? Information. Because I want to maximize my potential success, minimize any compromise. So it's just like kidnapping somebody, right? You don't just all of a sudden go out there. Well, let's go try to find this person and kidnap them. You're going to study that target. You're going to know their every movement. And you're going to decide right here is where I'm going to try to intercept this individual because of all this you know, this research I've done. So same way here. We're going to use open source, OSINT, which is so readily available. I could be in Beijing right now on my laptop in the Starbucks and looking at your your company or anybody's Absolutely. company. And, and start collecting, you know, not just what's on the website, but even going. Okay, I'll give you, I'll give you a few examples. Going to Glass Store. I think, I think all of you understand Glassdoor. Yeah. It's it, where it, everybody goes to bitch about something. Right. So I can learn about, you know, what is the, the morale within a company? Are employees happy? They feel like they're being treated well. There are great opportunities or they feel like the management is, it sucks, you know, that they're just being worked to death. The benefits are, are terrible. It's just, you know, not transparent. They hate it. Where people are not happy or they're disgruntled. It's much easier to actually target them and get and motivate them to. Take revenge. Okay. For example, okay. There's a lot of different, I, I found floor, detailed floor plans that have been uploaded to the internet of companies. If I wanted to do an intrusion, I found, uh, documents, uh, employee benefit packages, IT user guides that have been uploaded to the internet. All you got to do is do a, a search of the company in PDF. It'll be amazed by what type of documents you may find on the internet. Pictures of employees in the workplace, you know, with their badges, uh, where do they wear their badges? Uh, what's on their computer screen at the particular time, the, the computer peripheral equipment that I can see in the background. Um, as I mentioned, there are badges, which I can, you know, we can actually then manufacture badges for, for uh, you know, flash purposes. We can um, also learn about, I'm, I'm just trying to, there's a lot of different things when it comes to the open source. But for me, the most important aspect of open source is identifying, insider potential insider candidates ah okay because in the old days when I was out in the field you know beginning of my career it's like okay you have a target organization because there's information there that you want to get to and try to find out the who's who within an organization getting the the diagram the hierarchical you know diagram is very difficult when you got that as well wow this is a starting point now i can learn about you know who is in the organization what they have access to the relationships don't need that i can just get on the internet in the go the go to place what what is your idea what's the number one place that we can use to identify insider target candidates any idea Ah, uh, uh, yeah
0: i you know what i would be going to instagram and facebook and seeing what people are interested in and that might tell me a little bit about the vulnerabilities cuz what absolutely
1: they lo- that's what the they second like stage most.
0: oh okay so what first is the- stage. First, first stage first stage
1: linkedin okay linkedin is Golden resource because with the search bar on the upper left-hand corner, you can plug in the name of the company and, and and people, and that will pull up all the people that have had you know that company in their professional history. Then all you got to do is insert current. It means currently work for that company. and that will greatly reduce it. Then depending on what you're looking for, you can put in the type, the title of the individual, the geographic location, or maybe the university that they went to, and you can you can whittle this down to a very manageable hit list if you want to call it that or target list of individuals right and then based on that so starting with LinkedIn look at all of that information you got about their academic and professional background their certifications that they have the licenses that they have uh, even their volunteer work what do they have a passion for outside of their job right then we go on to those other ones that you mentioned Facebook learn all about your hobbies your interests your favorite foods, favorite restaurants, where you travel to, who did you travel with, where are you planning to travel in the future? Uh, go on to Instagram. Learn about your pattern of life okay, because people are going out, taking a picture. I'm here. I'm here. I learned their routine because learning their routine, their pattern is gives me an opportunity of being able to predict where they're going to be at what time if I want to actually bump them. Okay. Then I can learn from their Twitter. I love it. Here I get into their mind. Ah, uh, okay. What are they thinking? Right? What are their, pol- their, you know, their political uh, leanings? Religious convictions that they have? Uh, what are their pet peeves? You know, I can learn so much from from Twitter. And uh, then, of course, there's other ones there. You got you got all these other platforms, right? But my favorite would be LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. As far as those four that I would start use first of all to target and assess an individual, learn about their motivations, learn about their vulnerabilities, and create this. Uh, personality assessment profile based on what I can find about them on social media. Now, you're younger than me. I am a vintage, and I remember the world before internet. I remember so the I. world before social media. How many people really knew you? Okay, a couple dozen before this. Yeah, it would now, have to be close
0: close people.
1: That now, you know. now, I mean, we have, you know, we all have our profiles out there, multiple profiles, and there's like 4.9 billion Users of social media on the platform. So just think about: I don't, I don't have to invite you out for a coffee or lunch to get to know you know get to know you. I can sit back once again from my computer in Beijing, and I can I can I can collect all this information about you. Oh yeah, I mean, in my case, problem.
0: being a podcast host doesn't help the situation much <laughs> either. So yeah. <laughs>
1: So then with that, you know, that's kind of like the collection phase and targeting of of, of individuals. And then I can develop a variety of different types of ploys, social engineering techniques to actually target them, try to manipulate them. Okay. So would at that point, so you would
0: then go into the phase of crafting what the compromise plan is. And and that could be, it could be anything. I guess it could be uh, approaching me with a phishing email on a topic that I, care about maybe
1: right in this case we would talk about it being directly spear because i'm creating that message that's probably going to one specific individual and if we're talking about the average data breach worldwide costing 4.6 uh, million or 9.6 million in the united states we can you know that's money we can invest a little bit of time and it doesn't take much to target specific individuals so we can create that email we can create I, we can befriend you on on LinkedIn or another social media platform. And, and just as an email, these communication, uh, you know, just mean to communicate, you know, connect online in those platforms that, that also will carry that malicious link or will carry that a malicious attachment. But doesn't
0: that give up your identity? No, you I can create a, a f-
1: fake profile. So easy. There's so, I mean, <laughs> there's so many fake profiles out there. I come across them every day i think linkedin today has almost 800 million uh profiles and if we were just to say very conservative conservative estimate 10 percent of them are fake or 5 percent of them are fake you know wow. think about how many and, and I, i'm not exaggerating there's a lot of fake profiles out there they're so easy to set up i actually i i kind of run through in my training i run through you know how easy it is to uh, set up these profiles and how you can set them up with the, with them being very difficult, very, very difficult for LinkedIn's algorithms, or even someone who's very savvy to be able to detect that they're fakes. But then there's so many that are not quite that professional. And how, what are the things you should be looking for when you're able to, uh, when you get this invitation from someone you don't know? And uh, it's, but this is even changing because before I would mention, okay, you got that photograph, right? On, on a LinkedIn, you could do a reverse yeah. image search. Right. And if you see that image and there's someone else's name, ha, that's a red flag. Right. Or if you're reading through the profile and some of the stuff is not well written, because a lot yeah. of this is coming in from people that are not necessarily have English as a native language. So you can see these sort of things that just don't quite make sense or are a little bit weird or it's too perfect. Someone has actually cut and paste the narrative from some other you know personas on LinkedIn or other parts of the Web. But now think about it. We've got two different things when we're talking about advanced AI technology that, that changes the game. With pictures now, these compu- these pictures can be computer generated and they're almost, almost flawless. So we can create a new profile where a personality where that picture is, you know, it's not taken from someone else that where it can be discovered. Oh, that picture, you know, is from another person. This is a fake profile or where that via the chat, uh, GPT. You know, this, where you can create narratives now that are, that are really well done. So these individuals, I'm sure they're doing it already, who are writing these profiles, uh, fake profiles. They're already using these tools to enhance the, uh, the appearance of these fake profiles. And so you say, I tell people you gotta be very, very careful when they receive an incoming request for, you know, for a connection. You know, you can't go by, oh, they had over 500 connections. That must be legit. Now that doesn't mean anything. No. You know they have they have forty or fifty or sixty endorsements from people. That doesn't mean anything. People will endorse people that they don't know because LinkedIn will say, "Would you like to endorse uh, Sally Smith for yeah. XYZ?" Sure, 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 sure. Right? You want to be helpful, even though they don't know Sally Smith, and Sally Smith is probably a fake anyway. Okay. So, what about you know? They can incorporate in their profile when they make this fake profile. If I wanted to target you, for example, if whatever I know you've gone to the university, why don't I put the same university that you went to? Why don't I put, you know, some other aspect in my, my profile that we have a commonality with? You're more likely to connect with me. And when I then beginning to have a dialogue with you, you know, it's great. We already, you know, developed that report. Just like if you're in another side of the country driving and let's say you're, uh, you're from Ohio, right? Yep. Okay, let's say you're in Ohio and you all of a sudden you're in, I don't know, Wyoming. and You happen to see a car from Ohio. You automatically feel this connection with that person, even, you know, right? Because you have, you have a commonality yeah. there. So same thing, people that develop these fake profiles will develop them with some commonality with the target. And so the target feels even more, you know, the rapport that's built. And then there's a number of different things that this individual could do. They could be using you to gain access to some to a bigger fish, someone that they maybe want to approach, but you know, that that person they see that you're a mutual connection already with that with that target, they're more likely to to uh accept. So don't go by number of contacts, don't go by mutual connections, don't go by uh, endorse number of endorsements. I mean, all these things they don't mean anything when wow. it comes to validating whether or not this persona is real. We have to be much more more savvy when it comes to, if, if we're going to accept that invitation, we got to, we got to do a much more, um, due diligence.
0: I, wow.
1: So you
0: can't trust anything. So, you know, the thing is that this is a ubiquitous though, like LinkedIn as a platform in a professional environment, it, it's, it's, a, a tool that people rely on to some degree. Right. Well, you're right. I mean, say,
1: I, I, and people tend to get, when I, (laughs) when I speak about these things, they get a little bit paranoid. And I say, I'm hoping you're paranoid. Skeptical, you know, a little bit of uh, paranoia is healthy. You know, we got to be, we have to turn that into how are we going to act now going forward with these things? Does that mean that we are going to be so suspicious of everything and we're not going to accept any, any connections? No. We should be, you know, we should look at and try to judge whether or not this is a person that we want to, to have join our network and vice versa. But what comes more important is what happens next. So if we are approached, right, the danger is not that we are maybe in a network of someone who might be uh, a malicious actor. The danger is when we're approached now and asked to do something, we're asked to undertake an action. This is where the art of human hacking comes to the threshold of when someone is asked, when a hacker is asking somebody, To undertake an action, whether it's providing information, whether it's to click on a link, whether it's to open an attachment, whether it's to you know whatever they're being asked to do, whether it's to transfer money out of the account, right? We can talk about other aspect. Yeah, I can
0: tell you that we've had uh, clients that unfortunately came to us after uh, they had willingly sent funds. Mm -hmm. They got social engineered to the point where you know they. They looked at the organization. They found the types of communique that are sent to uh, how purchase orders are structured. They created a completely legitimate person to send money to. And organizations have actually followed through. That Just as a matter of course, oh, yeah, this is a purchase order. We bought this thing from person X. And
1: yeah, send them a check for 50 grand. Mm-hmm. Well, the, one of my favorite techniques for social engineering is vishing. You probably heard of vishing, but for your audience that maybe is not aware of it, it's when a social engineer will utilize the telephone and pretend to be whoever they want to be, right? To oh, enhance yeah. their credibility, they will spoof the caller ID, okay? And so, for example, this could be done for many different reasons. Maybe it's calling somebody up, pretending to be somebody uh, who's in some position of authority and then asking, you know, the recipient of the call for information and they see the call ID coming in is from that person. Why shouldn't I trust that it's coming from that person? They might even, you know, use that to call in to, you know, uh, pretending to be the boss, you know, and instructing a, an employee. We need to make this urgent transfer to this client. It wasn't done. Make this now and to even now uh, the next level of this, which has just happened over the last, couple of three years where you're going to see more of it is actually the deep fake voice cloning okay where it's not only the caller id that we're spoofing it's also that voice of that boss so you you see the number coming in oh the boss is calling me i listen to it or i speak with the boss it's his voice his or her voice this has been done and there's been companies that have been that that have suffered from this one of the biggest was in 2020 i think it was a oh 35 million dollars Wow. that bank manager sent out from the bank to some of some client to be wow. uh, transferred out because they believed i mean it was the voice of the client that was giving them the instructions so i mean and there's a lot of these that are not reported of course so but this is a this is the growth you know this is where we're going so this is, this is incredible
0: i I'll, I'll tell you uh peter we've um there's so many more topics here. We we haven't even scratched the surface, and, and we're already at the hour. And I and we've got to have you back because we didn't even get to protect, verify, and trust, and that whole thing. But I I absolutely want to talk about your book that's coming out. Oh oh, exactly. I, I I really it, want to talk about that, and then we you got to come back for a part two, and we got to pick up right at this point. And okay. Okay, uh,
1: But tell us about the book. It's coming out uh, in a couple weeks, right? No, no. Actually, the book book came out already. It's coming okay. out. It's already available. And uh, let me see. I have a copy of it here. For those Fantastic. of you who are visual. Confessions of a CIA Spy, The Art of Human Hacking. Okay. That's not a picture of me, but it could be. All right. <laughs> but people will see the cover. They might think it's uh fiction, but it's not. This is actually, I wrote this book um uh, based on what I've seen working as an intelligence officer you know the whole psychology behind you know how we target the, you know, some of the things I just mentioned to you you know how we target an organization how we you know the, the importance of identifying that insider sizing them up via their motivations and vulnerabilities and then knowing you know how do we leverage this uh and and so I talk about this in the in the world of human hacking today not just intelligence but in a services but across the board, no matter who the threat actor is, uh, these things, that are these techniques that are used, and then, uh, more importantly, providing tips about how we as individuals and, and, and organizations can protect themselves from this type of hacking. And I think uh, uh, one of the most important things when we talk about, when I, when I speak to organizations, you know, th- this security awareness training, which we'll talk more about next time when you have me back. Absolutely. The, uh, we will, you we know, want
0: you back. I mean, we... You know, there were like uh, 15 questions here in total. I think we got through three of them.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> I, I just want to highlight that. Uh, so often, the security awareness training is it's compliance training. It's sort of this check the box exercise, and th- and this is the this is an unfortunately the mindset. Where companies are thinking, well, we got to just, you know, check the box, maybe for insurance purposes as well. And they pass this on to their employees. Employees see it as compliance. I got to watch these cheesy videos. I got to answer a few questions and I get my 70%. I can print out my certificate. I'm good for a year. But you see how rapidly this, this, these things are changing. We have to be kept abreast of these types of. And I think one way to get your employees on board is to offer this, not only for the benefit of the company, but for the benefit of the employees, if they're aware of the security, you know, concerns and how they're vulnerable to themselves and how this can help protect them against, you know, identity theft, protect them against, you know, someone trying to get into their, their, their own bank accounts, they can see the value and that will carry over to the organization. So that's the type of things that I'm focusing you know, on. That's a really cool concept. If you
0: make the individual more secure than and you form an individual habit, that might be the Best way to form a corporate habit? Yeah, if they're
1: buying, you know, they're you yeah. know they'll, they'll see it as as benefiting the organization as well because they understand the value. That's fantastic. That's a that's worth the price of admission. I, it, it
0: was a way in which I had not thought about this, mm-hmm. but uh, wow, Peter! I, I tell you, um, you're a little scary, but <laughs> fantastic. I, I w- w- and we need to get you back. I, I think this is going to be a a fascinating conversation and um, how do people get a hold of you if they if they want to reach out to you or they want to get you scheduled for training or uh, get involved with you how do they do that
1: sure one of the the uh, best points of contact would be getting on my my uh, website which is counterintelligence-institute.com or you can do a search for my my name Peter Warmka on LinkedIn and uh, it will pull up a lot of information as well as links to the website so you know the website LinkedIn are probably the easiest ways to get to me um on my website there's also um additional information uh, videos there is uh, information about the programs that I have and also I will forward I'll forward to you but I do have a nice speaker one sheet that that really shows uh as a brochure uh, all this information Please, that I would you like know what? to send it to us, to. and we'll put it in the show notes. So that, excellent. Okay, uh, we'll do. We'll we'll do that for sure.
0: Um, it's fascinating. I I think uh, people could really use the advice you're you're offering here and the insights because it's it's mind opening as to how large the vulnerabilities are when you look at the human hacking side of it and go. Beyond what traditionally is the technical aspects of, of getting into an organization, mm-hmm. so so, Peter,
1: thank you. It's been thank a you. wonderful
0: conversation.
1: It's great, and uh, greetings to all of your your listeners. And I look forward to another opportunity uh, to to speak. And if you have questions, that you want to forward directly to me or uh, to your host here, you know, forward them because we are going to be back together very shortly. Absolutely, we are. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. Take care. Have a good day.